0: He's coming and preaching to you young people. Brother Christian said it just wonderful. He said this is one of the best preachers in our movement, and I, I really believe that. I told you last night I bring men to this pulpit that are real. I did something or asked of something of Brother Graham that I have never done before in my ministry. I asked someone, I asked Brother Graham to preach a message that I heard him preach, and the bad thing about it is he preached it at, at the largest event that we have in Pentecost, just about. We preached it at Youth Congress um, going on two years ago, and this message so affected my life and affected the people in that Youth Congress. I know some of you were there and many of you were not, but I, I thought, what better message to close out my time than a message that really affected my life that I feel like could affect the life of every person in the state of Texas that's here tonight. This message, and I, I'm not trying to set him up, but, uh, well, maybe I am. But I, I really feel like if you'll get a hold of this message, this is one of the most revelatory messages I have personally ever heard. Never asked someone to do this before, but I begged him, please. He said, Brother King, they probably some of them have probably heard it before. I said, that's all right. I want everyone that's at this place to hear this message. Simply, is entitled, Where Does the Mountain Start? Folks, I'm telling you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not wanting to shout right now. I want you to raise your hand and ask God to come down. I want you to open your heart to Him. And I want you to ask Him to speak to your life tonight and touch your life tonight. Would you do that? Come on, just right now. Lord, let the Word, let the Word right now come and penetrate my heart and minister unto my spirit. Hallelujah. 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 feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. For the Scott Graham National Youth President, St. Louis, Missouri, put your hands together. Give him a Texas welcome to preach to us. very kind. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be with you here tonight in what is my third youth convention in the last week. <laughs> I've been spanning the continent and I looked forward to no place any more than coming right back here to Texas. I had occasion to be in this pulpit on a couple of occasions at youth camps and I've always been so gratified by the privilege of preaching to the great youth here and I have anticipated returning
1: and I'm delighted to be here tonight. I apologize somewhat for the condition of my voice.
0: Um, this is not a sad song because I love to preach and I've been honored, but this is the twelfth time I've preached in the last ten days. If I had any sense, I would just be low-key and kind of Presbyterian, but I don't know how to do that. And so I just have to pin my ears back and preach. And, and my wife told me about halfway through the last four nights when I was at the Western Youth Convention was splattering my tonsils all over the back wall of the auditorium. She said, you still have to preach this weekend. I said, I know, but God will help me. He's going to. It's going to be all right. Amen. I'm delighted to be here tonight with your good district superintendent, Brother Russo. Thank you for the privilege to be here tonight stand in this pulpit and to address the youth of Texas. And I join my voice, what there is of it, with, uh, thank you, with um, the others that have sounded here tonight to express my appreciation and esteem for... Brother Keating and the great job he has done here with the Texas Youth Department. He's been a valuable part of our youth committee, reigned as Youth President of the Year. He assisted us on our planning committee. He's been an important part of what we've done, and I've been so gratified to have him as part of our general youth committee. And for what it's worth, without hiring Vito and Guido to come break his knees, I did what I could to talk him out of this, but uh, it was to no avail. Uh, but I, I do respect his decision. We will miss him. And uh, you, you've had great leadership here in he and Brother McLaughlin, and I know that will continue. But I join my voice with the others in thanking him for his service to this youth committee and the many friends that I have in the house here tonight. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Brother Keating made the disclaimer, i it's a weird thing about preaching at Youth Congress. Worked for months getting ready for it. I've, I've got notes right now I'm working on for this summer. Work
1: for months and months and months to get that ready and then you preach it once and chuck it.
0: Because everybody heard it. And you're not going to take that one around and repeat it too many places. But Brother Keating called me about
1: this night and he asked me specifically if I would consider and pray about bringing to you this particular word that God entrusted to me. I told folks after Youth Congress when I preached this, um, there are times that all of us in ministry, all of us who preach, We'll just be honest, go looking for a message. And then there are times when a message comes looking for you. And this was one of those things that came hunting me. And God spoke to me one night, and I'm pretty cautious about saying that, but it's true. And the Lord gave me a message that I felt like was applicable to the youth of our fellowship. And knowing that there were some of you, that uh, certainly many of you probably that weren't there,
0: and knowing that even those of you that were, many of you won't remember it, I want to direct your attention to Exodus chapter 19 tonight. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here this evening. Now, preaching is a group activity effort. It is not a spectator
1: sport. This is not a stage. You didn't buy a ticket. Uh, You don't get to spectate and sit back and see how I perform and then go out later and talk about whether or not I did any good. Sorry, it don't matter. You get to participate in this. Everybody's a part. Exodus chapter 19, and I will begin reading in verse number 10. Exodus 19, and verse number 10. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people, "...upon Mount Sinai, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through." Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. I will, as Brother Keating said tonight, be preaching to you from the topic, Where Does the Mountain Start? If your heart will be open tonight, God is going to help you to get something straight in your heart about what it means to live for God. And the Holy Ghost is going to help you understand a little better the value of what it means to be safe where God puts you. Amen. Would you just put your hands together and make a little noise because you're way too quiet right now. Now, open your lips apart and use your voice with your hands and give praise to God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Praise God. You can be seated. I will start tonight with a statement that is self-evident. And I know that y'all know it. And I figure when I say this, I'm going to get about this much reaction because it is so simplistic and so much a given that I'm afraid we don't appreciate it like we ought to. But our God that we serve is a God of extremely rich mercy. Now, I am going to be very forthright tonight in describing our God in some very clear and certain terms. But let's not lose sight of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has demonstrated His grace in our lives every day that we live. Lamentations chapter 3 It is of the Lord's mercies That we are not consumed Because His compassions fail not They are new every morning Honey, when you get up tomorrow And the sun has risen You got reason to be glad Because there is brand new mercy For you every day Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies are over all His works. Ephesians 2 and you, hath happy quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places. Come on now, by grace are you saved, through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm here to tell you you're saved by grace. I don't believe long here, but he gave me grace. I can't live clean enough, but he gives me grace. It doesn't matter if your daddy's an alcoholic, by grace are you saved. Or if your daddy is a pastor, by grace are you saved. Come on now. Get that attitude out of you that you deserve to be here. You don't deserve nothing but judgment and a one-way ticket to hell. But aren't you glad that grace came in one day and rescued you from where you were? I want to tell you, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he is kind, he is gentle, he is long-suffering, he is gracious, he is tender, and he ought to be praised for it right now. If I didn't have somewhere else ahead, I'd spend just a little time right now convincing you of that. Cause some of you are giving me that sanctified look like, well, but I'm a pretty good guy and I just, he's kind of blessed to have me. Honey, I need to rattle your okay, cage just another minute. You don't deserve one thing except judgment and penalty and punishment. I don't care if you got a nine button suit and your hair is in this fancy do. Honey, you need to get some of that out of you and realize if it wasn't for the grace of God, You could be the biggest drug dealer in your city. You might be a gangbanger. Honey, don't tell me what you wouldn't be if it wasn't for the grace. By grace, are you saved? However, you better also remember this fact. That God has a backbone too. Don't you ever get the mistaken idea that just because he's merciful, that he's a wimp. Don't you ever get mistaken that just because we shout about amazing grace, that you're going to wipe your feet on his grace and just do anything thing you want to and ignore the precepts of the word of God and that he is constrained by his mercy to wink at it. He is not a wishy-washy, spineless, limp-wristed, gutless, can't make up his mind kind of God. He is a God that says what he means and means what he says and you're not going to thumb your nose at him with impunity. Now we make a mistake when we make him out to be such a big bad burger bear that everybody's scared to death of him and you think every moment that you live he's just going to knock you in the head. That's a mistake. He's my daddy and he loves me. But it's also a mistake when we make him out to be this big fuzzy bunny in the sky that just wouldn't ever do anything to anybody and wouldn't ever judge anybody. Honey, I want you to know God is made out of velvet, but inside that velvet there's a backbone of steel. He is a God that's compassionate, but He's a God you don't want to mess with. You want me to prove it to you? 2 Samuel chapter 6. Go ask a man named Uzzah that reached out and touched the ark of God. All he did was put his hand on it. And the Lord smacked him so hard that the scholars tell me it literally split his body in half. If you don't believe him, go to Leviticus 10 ask Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire to the Lord. And God said, I got a little fire of my own. And he sent out fire and burned him up in his wrath. If you don't believe them, ask the Israelites about those poisonous serpents that God sent into the camp when they murmured and complained and criticized their leaders. Oh, you don't want no preaching in here tonight. Go to Daniel chapter 4 and ask Nebuchadnezzar about being sent out into the field with the mind of a beast and eating grass, fingernails like bird claws for seven years for his pride. If you don't believe Him, ask Pharaoh about frogs and flies and lice and darkness and buried his son. And if you don't believe Him, go to Second Samuel 24 and ask David about a pestilence that killed 70,000 people because David numbered the people. Well, oh, I know. You give me that look. Now, Brother Graham, you know, that's all in the Old Testament and... and And you think God changed in those 400 years in between, huh? You don't think He meant what He said in Isaiah when He said, I am the Lord and I change not? How about Jesus Christ? The same yesterday. The same God that killed 70,000 is in this place today. And some of you are rubbing His face in it. And you're walking on His grace. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you need to be baptized all over again with the fear of the Lord. I'll take you on this side of Calvary. Go have an interview with Ananias and Sapphira. Holy Ghost filled, Jesus name baptized, part of the New Testament church, lied to the Holy Ghost, and the Bible says great fear came upon the church. I guess so. You don't reckon some dude walked up front of your church, lied to your pastor, and the Holy Ghost came on him, and he said, "You just lied to the Holy Ghost." and chuck him out the side door in the back parking lot and no sooner than his wife comes in and he says you going to lie too? yep they just buried him they'll carry you out Whoop. you reckon about anything he preached that night you'd do? Or do you suppose you'd go out to McDonald's and say, well, I really don't think that applies to me, and I really don't think i got to do that, and I I just don't think that's His place. Honey, I'll tell you what happened. You'd crawl up the aisle, and you'd get in the altar, and there'd be a fear of the Lord that would come. Some of y'all ready for me to quit already? I'm just getting started. I'm telling you, young people, we need a new baptism of the fear of the Lord. Something's wrong with us. Okay, I'm your youth president. I travel around and get to preach to a lot of our kids. But there's something wrong when you can shout with the youth choir on Sunday and then fornicate on Monday and come back in on Wednesday and act like nothing's wrong something's wrong with you when you can sit there on Sunday night. Amen, pastor. Amen. Wow! And then go to school on Monday and wear something you'd be embarrassed for your pastor to see you in. Honey, it's about the fear. Oh, if God would do one thing tonight, I pray God give us a new reverence, a new fear of the Lord. So I just don't know about that. Well, you just argue with the Word of God then. John chapter 3 and verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abide upon him. Ephesians 5 and 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That ain't talking about heathens. That ain't talking about folks out there that don't know nothing. That ain't talking about those kids in your school who ain't never been here. That's talking about those of you that have been... In Jesus' name. And you've got truth. But you're holding it in unrighteousness. And the Word of God says there's going to come a wrath of God on your head if you don't deal with it. So let me take you to the Israelites who are three months out of Egypt. They arrive at Sinai, and God prepares to meet them. God sends a word to Moses and says, three days from now, I am coming. On three days from now, I'm going to descend to the top of that mountain. And when I come, I will not come like some little wimpy dude fluttered out of the heavens on on, on silver wings. He said, when I come, that whole mountain is going to tremble. It's going to be filled with smoke. I'm going to come with power, unlike anything they've ever seen. And so he said, you tell them between now and And the time I get there, I want those Israelites to sanctify themselves. Because he said there is something about the announcement that the Lord is coming that makes all God's children want to get right before He gets there. Thank you for that. you way too comfortable, hot dog. There's something about it. He's about to come back. And when he comes, he's coming in power. And he's coming in glory. And he's coming in splendor. And there's something I'm saying before he gets here. I want us to be right. I want us to be clean. I want us to be holy. He's coming, kids. He's coming. I know you've heard it all your life, but He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And I'm looking for some young people to have something big in their heart. I want to be right. I want to be right. Something about it. When you know He's coming, you just want to be sure you got the right kind of music in your car. (laughs) You want to be sure you got the right kind of clothes on your body. You want to be sure you're going out with the right kind of guy? You want to be sure you're running with the right kind of friends? Because wouldn't it be bad for you to be running with a bunch of carnal buddies laughing at one of their dirty jokes when the trumpet sounds? Well, come on now. He's coming. He's coming. I didn't come to entertain you. I came to bust you upside the head and tell you like Moses told the people. You better get clean. You better get right. You better get ready. He's coming. And he said, while they're getting themselves ready, you tell them to wash their clothes too. Lest anybody would think this thing of living right doesn't have something to do with what you wear also. When God got there, that whole mountain shook. He came down in a fire. And the Lord said, Moses, you tell those people that when I put my foot on that mountain, any body that touches that mountain dies. Ain't no ifs. Hands or butts about it. No excuses, no grandfather clauses, no get out of jail free cards. Anybody that touches it, man or beast, die. Well, Lord, uh, how about if they just kinda got one foot on the edge of it? Dead. How about it? They just kind of reach over and dangle their finger in the dust of it. Dad. How about it? I only go to that website say once a week. wear that split in the skirt when my pastor's not around to see it. Dad, How about if I play Christian music six days a week, but when I'm out on Friday night with my girl, I put in something that'll get her in the mood. See, you don't want no preaching. You just want entertainment. I didn't come entertain you, honey. I said if you've got your foot on the You better get back away from some stuff because He's coming! He's coming! He's coming! If so much as their hand touches the mountain, dead. If they touch the border of it, dead. Let me see If I am an Israel, Sister Foster, I have a very important question on my mind. Man, I want to know where does that mountain start? See, some things are hard to define. See, if the Lord had said, "I'm going to come down in the Red Sea, and anybody who touches the sea dies," that's easy. I know where the sea starts. It's where the water meets the sand. Very simple. If God had said, I'm coming down in the Jordan River, don't touch the river, I think I can adequately define that. It's where the river, the water, meets the bank. But I don't know if I know exactly where a mountain starts. You ever been out west? Are we out west? Is this considered out west? I don't know. This is down south to me. Now, I ain't talking about West Texas either. And I don't mean to badmouth anything out there. Is there anything out there? It produces some great men, though. And a fine flock of armadillos. Not that those two things are related in any fashion or anything like that. I'm talking about like out west Colorado, Wyoming area. Well, I-70 across Kansas. Uh, just the thought of it produces that reaction to me. But when you start coming out the far end of Kansas, coming into Colorado, heading toward Denver, all of a sudden on the horizon begins looming the mountain. And the most amazing optical illusion takes place with that mountain looming so high in front of you You would just know for sure if I asked you, are we going uphill or downhill? You'd say, well, Brother Graham, we're going downhill, can't you see? And I could stop the car, put it in neutral, and it would begin to back up. Because the looming size of that mountain makes it hard to distinguish whether or not I've already started going up or if I'm still on level ground. The mountain of sin in our society is so massive that if you look at it, it's easy to feel like we're very clean and to lose track of whether or not we're going up or going down. But I'm so much cleaner than they are the question. He didn't say be holier than the unholy. He said be holy for... Alright. I I ain't going to get off on that too far. I I, got to get where I'm heading... I'm just telling you, it's not easy to tell when level ground stops and the incline starts. And besides that, how does God define a mountain? Does the mountain start as soon as the incline begins? Or does it need to be a five degree grade? And that's what God calls a mountain. Or is it ten degrees? And that's where God calls it a mountain. All I know is that if I'm in Israel, I want to know. I don't want to be wandering around and accidentally get out on something that God can Consider a mountain and die a fool's death because I blindly stumbled into an area that was off limits for me. I want to know where does it start? what's safe and what's not safe, what should I stay away from. And so, God, if I'm an Israelite, how about a map? That spells out the exact location of where the mountain starts by your analysis. God, how about a GPS system that will pinpoint to the exact millimeter where I am and where I can go so I'll know how close I'm getting to the danger zone? God, would you send me something that will help me know? And I am here to preach to you tonight that God said to Israel, I've got something better for you than a longitude and a latitude. I've got something better than a topographical map. I've I've got something better than a GPS system. You know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you Moses. Okay, that went right over you, and so I'll make it make sense. Moses, I'm going to put a man of God in your life. I'll give you something better than anything else. I'll give you a man of God. And Moses will build some boundaries. And Moses will build some fences. And not safe. Honey, you've got the greatest blessing. I'm going to preach some of you out of that tonight. Young people, there's some things out there that will kill you. There are some things that are deadly to your spirit. There are some activities that will send you to hell. There are some behaviors that will bring the wrath of God on your head. And you say, well, Brother Pam, I want to know what they are. I want to know what's safe. Give me a list. I want to know what CDs are okay and what CDs aren't okay. Give me a piece of computer software that will blot out every website I ought not go to. Can you please provide me with something that will help me know what's safe and what's not safe? Yes, I can. God sent me to tell you tonight He's got something better than a list and something you can trust more than your feelings and something that's more faithful than Hollywood and something that's more dependable than Your friends, hey, young people, he gave you a Moses! You've got a pastor, and your pastor is going to build some fences, and your pastor is going to give you some guidelines, and your pastor is going to give you some barriers. Well, y'all are daring me to preach tonight. I'm just about to. Some of you get your nose out of joint every time Moses puts a fence post in the ground. And you went, to, I don't think that's his job. Honey, that is his job. That's what God told him to do. And you ought not get mad and lay out of church and gossip and criticize and complain. You ought to go to something. Thank you, Moses. Thank you, Moses. I didn't know that'd kill me. Thank you, Moses. I'm just a teenager. I'm a little immature. I didn't know that it'd kill me. Moses, if it hadn't been for you, I might have been there when he comes. Thank God for Moses. Thank God for your pastor. I said, thank God for your Pastor. Thank God for a man of God that's keeping me in a place of safety. Now, Now, I'm going to bring balance to this because I will point out to you that Moses led those people for 40 years, but he didn't spend every day of 40 years building fences. Sooner or later, something's gotta get in your heart where we don't have to have a fence around every activity to keep you away from it. Sooner or later, God's gotta get in here. And when you start to touch it, the Holy Ghost checks you and says, no, 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 son. No, 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 no. That's not right. That's not clean. In all reality, the people probably should have just stayed back on their own. You know, folks, I'm not real bright. Don't amen. But I'm telling you before God, i got enough brains between my ears that if I am standing at the foot of a mountain and that whole mountain starts to shake and tremble and smoke and rattle and roll, I mean, if I am standing there and the ground starts going, ain't nobody going to have to say to me, tip, back up. Me and Mrs. Graham and all the youngins, this is. I mean, how much brains does that take? I don't need seven books and 14 counseling sessions to convince me the danger of being on that mountain right then. I'm getting there. I read a while back about some guys that wait for volcanoes to erupt and then climb them. It seems to me that it is self-evident that if a volcano is erupting, it's the wrong time to climb it. I was in Florida a while back. Met a couple of boys. They got to... I don't scuba dive. But they were telling me about the best places to scuba dive. Places you could be sure to run into a shark. You'll have to excuse me. Seems to me the best place to scuba dive are those places... You won't run into a shark. How much brains does that take? I told those guys, I thought I live in Missouri. The baddest animal we've got is a bunny and we shoot it with a shotgun. Guys are nuts. That's all about you go over here you can see a moriolus. I can go to SeaWorld and see that. On the other side of the glass where they feed him something other than me. Some things just make sense. Okay? I would think that with the ravages of AIDS and sexually transmitted diseases in this society, you wouldn't have to have a whole lot of counsel to convince you to remain a virgin. My God, why do you need a fence? Don't you have any brains? I would think that the horrors of drug addiction would be enough to keep you out of some high school parties without your pastor having to tell you you don't belong there. I would think that with 50% of marriages breaking up, you'd have enough brains to only date in the church and only date people that are really in the church.
2: And don't you tell me your hormones are out of control. You're not an animal. You're a child of God. Grow up. Grow up.
1: Folks, just good sense ought to tell you that you ought not be flirting back and forth with some faceless, nameless person in an internet chat room. How much brains does that take? Honey, all you ought to have to do is look at the picture on the front of some of your CDs. And that ought to be enough to say, I don't need that in my spirit. It doesn't take a PhD. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. Honey, the mountain is on fire. Stay off the mountain. But God knows our frame, and He understands our propensity to be drawn toward the corrupt. God understands that there's something in this nature that pulls us toward the perverse. Proof of it? Just read the USA Today about how many idiot reality TV shows are on right now. People are up out of millions to watch every perverse attitude and action possible. Cause I press draws that way! And so God knew that even though they probably should stay back, yet because of their nature, God said, I'm going to be so good to them that even though I gave them brains enough that I should do it, I'm going to also give them something else. I'm going to give them a Moses so that when their good is in operating, they'll run up against some preaching. They'll run up against some teaching. They'll run up against some counsel of their pastor. And I'll keep them safe by giving them a Moses. Right, hold on. Listen. David you say, but Brother Graham, you just don't trust me. I get so sick of that. Your daddy tells you, you're going out with that loser. Because girls, he can talk in tongues from the time he gets up to the time he goes to bed. He's dating my daughter. He's a loser. Just a fact. You're going out with that loser on Saturday Friday night. Your daddy looks at you and says, I want you home by 10 o'clock. What? Go to my class gets get till midnight. What's out matter, dad? Don't you trust me? Darling, I trust you. And I even trust that idiot you're going out with. But I don't trust your flesh. But pastor, why can't we go there? Don't you trust us? I trust you. I don't trust the devil. I trust you. I don't trust your flesh. I trust you. I don't trust some carnal kids. So I'm saying, Moses, build me a fence and show me what's safe, Honey, your soul is redeemed, but your flesh is wicked. And so... Sunday! After Sunday, here goes that godly man that you call pastor to the difficult and awkward task of building fences, and in the face of public opinion, he digs the holes, and under the heat of improper scrutiny, he puts the fence posts in, and with tears coursing down his cheeks, he defies the politically correct, and he tamps the dirt down so the fence posts will stand, and while they claim we're in bondage, he strings the wire, and while they call us legalists, he just keeps building fences. Let them laugh. Let them make photos. Let them say all the things they want to say. It's new to you and me, and just to last me more recently than you, you're going to stand before God one day for those people down there. And God's going to say, Nathan Keating, where did you build the fences? I'm going to answer for some people in in Missouri, someday. And God's going to say, Scott Graham, where are the fences? And if I let pressure, and I let criticism, and I let other people... Make me take them away. Then the people that follow me are going to wander into destruction. That's why I say you ought to thank God. Shout and buck and jump and love your pastor for standing in the face of a society that resists them. Go ahead and criticize me. Go and laugh at me! But I got some young people I'm going to keep safe! I got some young people that are going to be ready when He comes! But here is where I must get to. I don't think I'm going to get through all these notes tonight, but I must get here. You hear this. Perhaps the most significant fact in this passage is that God did not dictate the fence's location to Moses. Now, he told Moses to build a fence. But he did not say to Moses, see that rock? Put it right there. No, not that rock. The other one. No, not that. There, there, right, put it right there. He say that. He said, Moses, you build the fence. Here we go. Moses had the responsibility and the authority To interpret and apply God's commandments. Have the authority to interpret God's commandments and the mandate to apply them based on what he saw in front of him. Moses walked out on that hillside and said, I've been looking around, I've been praying, I've been seeking God, and I'm going to build me a fence right there. And God, here we go. And God was going to back him up. So you can think it's just your pastor's opinion if you want to. And you can think that he doesn't have any authority if you want to. But I'm telling you this, when he puts that fence there, God's going to kill anybody that steps over there. Are you? You're not hearing me just yet. I'm telling you, if Moses had put the fence here, then somebody standing there would have lived. But if Moses put the fence here, somebody standing there would have died. Because God said to Moses, you build the fence, think i got to do it. But when God comes back, if you're on the wrong side of that fence... See, here's what I'm saying. We're living in a day when technology is swiftly outstripping our ability to legislate righteousness. There's things in our society I can't find in the Bible. Find me a scripture on the internet. Find me one that has www.anything. Find me one that's got dots. It ain't in there. So, boy, that's kind of poor planning on God's part. You would have thought, knowing all things like He does and knowing that was going to come up, that He'd have put a verse in there somewhere that applied. He did. You want to know what it is? Obey them! Have to rule over you and submit yourself, for they watch for your soul. That's what God said. He said, I'll give you a Moses. He'll build a fence, and your job is to stay over here. All right, all right, all right. All right here we go. I'm going to wade right out there because I ain't scared of you him. He named good Brother Graham. Here's what I don't get. My pastor built a fence here. But there's a pastor across town. He put it over there. And I know a pastor. I don't even know if he got one of those fences. Stop sucking your thumb. That's not your responsibility. And that's not your accountability. God's not going to make you answer for where your pastor built it. God's going to the grave. I was still on this side of that pastor's fence. You're gonna die when Jesus comes. Because God's gonna hold you accountable for your Moses. That's good preaching, thank you. I need a little positive affirmation right then. Some of you are looking at me kind of go, Oh, I don't know if I believe that or not. You know why? Because you've never got your flesh under subjection to your pastor's preacher. And you think you're smarter than him. And no more than him. And more spiritual than him. I'm telling you, God gave Moses the job. Moses will answer for it. You're going to answer for whether or not you stay. You want me just to finish it? And it ain't God's will for you to go to some other Moses' church either. <laughs> Honey, you don't get to go to Lowe's and shop through the fences. You can't take your gift card to Lowe's and go, Well, I don't think I like that Pastor fence. And that one's better for me. My flesh could handle that one. Honey, I don't want my flesh to handle the fence. I want the fence to handle my flesh. Come on, somebody, fall in love with your Moses. Thank God for your pastor. Thank God for the fences. Thank God
2: for what he built.
1: You ought to thank God every time your pastor steps to the pulpit. Tell you who he is. I'm gonna kind of pick through it a little bit. I'll tell you who he thinks he is. He thinks he is God's voice in your life, and I think he is too. Other than that word, do you want to know where you're going to hear the voice of God in this society first? Well, Brother Graham, I'm
0: very spiritual at 13.
1: And God just speaks to me. You need a spiritual hearing aid. You're hearing voices, but it ain't God. That's your stinking flesh trying to convince you that the man of God doesn't have any right to step into your life and establish some things. Ah God have mercy. Oh, you need to hear me tonight. You better hear me this evening, my good buddy Doug White sitting over. I love Brother White to death. He gave me this. I'll footnote it. But he told me one time. He said, Brother Graham, do you realize that Adam had two responsibilities? The first Adam, this 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 type, uh, you know, Christ. He's a he's a type of Christ. Christ, second Adam, perfect in all his ways, but Adam imperfect. But the first Adam, he was the first picture of the role of a pastor because he said God put him in the garden and he brought the animal to buy and he said you name them and whatever you name them that's what we'll call them but then he took him to all the plants and he said I already planted these things I already put the roots down on these you're not going to move them your job is just to keep them in other words God gave Adam the responsibility to keep some things and to name some others Now, you listen to me. There's some things in that book God already put the roots down and your pastor's going to keep them. But there's some things that may not be in that book and God says to him, name it. Establish it. Plan it. And whatever you call it,
2: that's what I'll call it.
1: Here's little Samuel in the temple. Grow up there. He's a child. For, the, for You don't have to go to work. I'm almost done. For the first time in his life, God speaks to that boy. Samuel wakes up and says, Hey, uh, I hear a voice. And he didn't sit there and scratch his head and say, That's weird. I never heard that before. You know what he said? Well, I know who that is. That's the That's the pastor. And anyway, he running into Pastor Eli and said, what do you want? I didn't call you. Goes back to bed. Voice speaks to him. Samuel. hey, I know who that is. I've done been hearing that voice on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night since I was a kid. I know that voice. That's my pastor. What do you want, pastor? No, no, no. I, 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 I didn't call you. Get back in his room this time going. Samuel, ain't no doubt about it. I can't get confused about that voice. I've been listening to that one for years. That's my... Isn't it fascinating that the first time he heard the voice of God, he thought it sounded just like his God's never going to speak to you something different than your pastor said. God's never going to sound different than your pastor sounds. Don't tell me He told you something else. He did not. He will sound just like your
2: pastor.
1: I charge you before God? I'm going to give you the same counsel that Moses gave to the nation of Israel when Korah was leading a revolt against Moses. Korah got his nose out of joint. I'll tell you what I kind of like here in Texas. How many men there are leading the charge up here? I kind of like that. I've been in some districts where the guys all sitting back are like dead lumps and the girls are up there leading the worship. Thank you men for being leaders in Texas. But when Korah started leading that revolt against Moses, saying, you take too much upon yourself, we're all holy, we hear from God, and Moses fell on his face before the Lord, and he got up and looked at Korah and said, if you die the death of old age, we'll know I'm not a man of God. But if a new thing happens, and the earth opens up and swallows you, you'll know you've done got your finger in God's face. Here's what I'm going to tell you. His exact words were, He said, then you will know that you have provoked the Lord. See, Korah thought he was just getting in Moses' face. But Moses said, when you raise your ugly head against your pastor, you've done that in God's face. Oh, sure, sure. It's okay. You think when you slip that little ring on your pinky and slide up there in the Eve choir when you know your pastor doesn't allow that on the platform, you thought you would just getting something over on your pastor. You're wrong, honey. You done shoved that ring right in God's face. You better watch out because a new thing's going to happen. You just never know but what this world might swallow you up. You mean the ground might split open in the parking lot and I'd fall into a crevice? I'd rather that would happen. than for the world to swallow you. And that's why Moses looked at the nation of Israel. And he said this, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Nathan and Abiram. In other words, he
0: said, You don't even want to hang with kids that are in rebellion against the
1: pastor. The same world that might swallow them might open wide enough to swallow you. Honey, if that kid is against the pastor, get away from him and run up to your pastor and say, I'm on your side. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Forgive me. Sonny, tell you. that it may not have made much sense to the Israelites for a little while. Israel might have thought those boundaries were a little foolish the first day. And the second day they might have looked at them, shook their heads, said, I just don't get it. But on day number three, something happened that changed their perspective about the fences. You know what it was? It went like this. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of a trumpet exceedingly loud. Honey, when the trumpet sounded. All of a sudden, all those kids were saying, Wow, thank God for Moses. Thank God he kept this over here. Honey, you may not understand it right now. You may not agree with it right now. You may not like it right now. But, sis, when the trumpet sound, <laughs> How far you want me to go with this? Brother Graham... Do you know how tired I get of having to work with this hair that hangs down to here? Split ends and blow-drying and getting caught in vacuum sweepers. And Do you know what a problem this is? On day three, sweetheart. When the trumpet sounds... And you and all that glory go to glory. You're going to say, Thank you, Moses! Thank you, Moses!
2: Thank you, Moses!
1: But, Brother Graham, you just don't understand me. I'm going to get way out there now. Brother Graham, you understand, my football coach has told me I could probably make all conference, and there could be a college scholarship in it for me, and my pastor will not let me play sports in high school. And I know a pastor over there that will. Bubba, i make you this promise in the Holy Ghost. You honor Moses, stay over here, God will get you to college, and God will get you to heaven. Cause I'm going to hit it right where it's at right now. Because if you'll go around this fence for football, you might go around the next one for Jesus' name baptism. Oh, no, no, no. no, now don't look at me like that. I didn't say they are of equal weight. I'm just saying once you get used to crawling over fences, it's not hard to go over the next one. Keep Yourself! Keep yourself! Keep yourself inside the fence your Moses built! I want you to throw your hands in the air right now and thank God out loud for Moses and his fence building! No, no, we're not done yet. Don't you stop that quick. Honey, he has agonized. He has sweat blood for you. He has taken criticism for you. He's been beat up for taking a stand for righteousness. Now we're going to pay him back by thanking God for Moses. Come on, no, no, we're not quitting yet. Thank God for Moses. Thank God for a fence. Thank God for a boundary. Thank God for safety. I want you to close your eyes right now. Now, when I was at Youth Congress and did this, we all went and found our pastors as best we could. Well, oh, don't move. We went and found our pastors. We got in big circles and loved on him, hugged him, thanked him. I don't know how many pastors are here, but I was praying in my motel room tonight before we came. I couldn't feel released to do that tonight. Do you trust me? I want to tell you what the Holy Ghost told me needs to happen here tonight. There will be time for reconciling, reconciling yourself with your pastor. And you can go home Sunday and fall down and kiss the soul to his shoes. And I pray Sunday when you see him, you come running in and hug him and say, Pastor, I love you more than I ever loved you in my life. I thank you more than I ever did before. And I commit to you the things I don't even understand. I'll live by them because I want to go to heaven. And I'm not going to complain and I'm not going to criticize. And if somebody else starts to criticize, I'm going to walk away from it because I'm just not going to be a party to that. You can go all those commitments to your pastor on Sunday. I'm going to tell you the Holy Ghost spoke to me and told me that there is need for wide-sweeping repentance in this house tonight. That before we go shouting, there needs to be a repentant spirit fall on us that some of your tongues have been wagging against your pastor and some of you have been criticizing the man of God and some of you have been party to activities in your youth group that your pastor does not know is going on and you think you can get away with it but God sent this preacher tonight to get in your face and tell you you will not walk in with impunity forever when the Lord comes down on Mount Zion if you're still on the other side of the fence There is going to be judgment on your life. So I am calling the youth of Texas to a place of repentance tonight. Can you swallow your pride and put your fancy outfit in the floor? Can you put your well-combed hair down on the carpet and weep and cry and ask God to forgive you? You said, Brother Graham, I just don't think It doesn't matter what you think or Brother Graham, I just don't see it that way It doesn't matter how you see it What matters is that Moses walked out there And said, right here Is where our mountain starts Maybe it'll start somewhere else in another town Maybe somewhere else there'll be another place for it but I've got to answer to God one day for you, son. And if anything, I'd rather be too cautious. I'd rather pull back an extra couple of feet and see you in heaven than get you so close that you're in constant danger. Come on, young people, cry out to God. Some of you felt so abused, felt so picked on. Who does my pastor think he is to tell me that I can't go there? Who does he think he is to tell me that he doesn't think that's a good boy for me to date? What does he mean coming in telling me that he doesn't think that college is right for me? It's
2: Moses, kids.
1: It's Moses. whether you're in the front or the back you need to build an altar whether you're you're way up there in the front or way in the back you need to build you an altar you need to build you an altar whether you're 12 or 82 you need to build you an altar because this applies to grown-ups too it applies to young preachers too to think you know more than your pastor Think you no more than that old gray headed man. Your spirit's wrong, son. I don't care if God called you to preach. It starts in submission. Come on, seek him, seek him, seek him. It's too quiet in here. There needs to be a little groaning and a little howling and a little weeping and wailing and repentance in this house. Me to pray. Girls, some of it is a bad attitude toward your pastor's wife. You've been upset at Moses' wife because she came by and told you that split was too high in your skirt. And you got a bad attitude about it. And you've been complaining and griping. But she came by and told you your hair needed to be different if you're going to be on the platform. And you got mad. You need to repent and then go ask that lady to forgive you for your bad attitude. Some of you do after you pray a while. You need to go to the pastor if he's here. You need to hug that man and ask him to forgive you. Tell him how much you love him and tell him how glad you are eat your Moses. Tell him how grateful you are to live inside the fences that he built.
2: Tell him that you're
1: on his side. You won't be complaining anymore. You're going to be living for God. You're going to be walking with him. It'd be good. it be good. After you pray a while, for you to go find your pastor if he's here. And if not, maybe you want to call him tonight when you get back to your room. Or maybe you want to call him tomorrow morning or go see him tomorrow afternoon when you get home. Sunday morning, go early, and knock on his office door and say, Pastor, I just want you to know how much I love you. How glad I am you're my pastor. I submit to you. And I trust you. I believe you. I follow you as you follow Christ. I'm